Progress stalls on the effort to bring you property tax relief. Now there's a new plan. We are talking about Texas families, not private special interests, but about you. Texas Democrats take a different approach to tax relief, how their proposals aim to help renters across the state. Big donations begin to shape the race for Senate in Texas. How a multi-million dollar fundraising haul is boosting the campaign of a Texan who wants to take on Ted Cruz. Summer in Texas leads to punishing conditions for workers in the state's prisons. We'd see temperatures as high as 130, 140, and so you'd work in that for a couple of hours, and you can only be up there for so long. We hear firsthand stories about dangerous conditions pushing some prison workers to leave their jobs. Texas takes new steps to overhaul foster care funding, how the changes could help people who care for some of the state's most vulnerable children. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Lawmakers returned to the state capitol after their Independence Day break and got back to work on plans to cut your property taxes. Well, sort of. So far, there appears to be little work getting done and few signs of progress. Both the House and Senate gaveled in briefly on Wednesday without taking up tax legislation. Then on Friday, both chambers recessed until next week. This is the second special session. Lawmakers are here because the governor and the Senate are divided on how best to give you a discount on your tax bill. At stake is nearly $18 billion that the state has set aside to lower property taxes. We told you last week how the House and Senate are taking different approaches. A House committee passed a plan to use the funding to lower school property tax rates. That is the governor's preferred plan. He calls it a step toward permanently eliminating property taxes. Meanwhile, the Senate last week approved a plan with a $100,000 homestead exemption. That's more than double the amount currently exempt from property taxes. Amid the division, one encouraging sign, House Speaker Dade Phelan said that he met with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on Wednesday. That's something that did not happen in the previous special session. Patrick has said that face-to-face -face negotiations are the best way to end the impasse. So far, no word on a deal. But even when they do reach an agreement, many Texans are skeptical whether the plan will actually make much of a difference. The Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas asked voters whether they expected property taxes to go up or down. 42% said they expected an increase, while 21% thought their tax bills would stay the same. Less than a quarter of people polled believe their property taxes will go down. As top Republicans negotiate privately, some Texas Democrats are presenting their own tax relief plan. Progressive lawmakers in the Texas House say their plan is the only one that gives relief to renters. Capitol correspondent Ryan Chandler has a closer look. If you are a renter in Texas, if you are a homeowner in Texas, this is our plan. This is your plan. In the long fight over property taxes, Democrats say the state's top leaders are forgetting a few things. The 38% of Texas households, that's 3.8 million Texas households. Dallas Democrat John Bryant leading a charge to give Texas renters a rebate, spending $3.8 billion of the state's surplus to reimburse up to 10% of last year's rent. Our proposal delivers more property tax relief than any other House or Senate proposal pending, $20.9 billion. 
and it does it for all Texas households. We're seeing evictions go through the roof in the state of Texas. For low-income renters, there's really a crisis of affordability. Last year, Texas set an all-time eviction record with 270,000. This year, eviction rates in the major metros are higher than ever. Make sure first we invest in the people of Texas, the taxpayers of Texas, by the first thing we do is to return your taxes to you by driving down your property tax rate until it gets to zero. Governor Abbott says his plan to cut school district tax rates would help everyone, including renters. But low-income housing advocates say it's not that simple. I think we have reason to be very skeptical of the idea that property tax compression will provide direct relief to renters. Representative Bryant's proposal is putting renters back in the middle of this conversation. Renters are taxpayers, renters are Texans, and as a matter of fact, they are the Texans with the greatest need. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. With Republicans controlling the negotiations, the Democrats' plan faces steep odds to move forward. Representative Bryant acknowledged the challenge, but he says he's optimistic some of the ideas could earn bipartisan support. Obviously, we have 64 Democratic votes. We can't pass a bill through the House all alone. But I think these proposals have broad appeal. I think there are members of the Republican caucus who would vote for relief for renters. The Democrats' plan also includes a $4,300 teacher pay raise. That's made possible by increasing the amount the state allots to public schools. But those ideas have stalled before after Republican leaders tied school funding to plans to let parents use tax dollars to pay for private education. But amid the divisions at the Capitol, we saw a solemn moment of unity. The Capitol community is grieving the death of a beloved co-worker. Tamoria Jones, the chief of staff of Houston Democratic Representative Harold Dutton, died last week. On Wednesday, House lawmakers, Democrats and Republicans, stood together to honor Jones. She was 35 years old. Details about how she died have not been released. Those whose lives she touched focused on her legacy. Tamoria has always been a person who spoke her mind and you always knew where you stood with her in a building where you don't always know where you stand with people. And she is a bright shining light and I am thankful that we're all honoring her memory. And I would just like everybody to know, Tamoria is not her passing. She is how she lived her life. She is how she loved us. She is how she worked. I would ask us all to remember her life and what she gave us and not how she left us. Jones forged friendships across party lines, a fact highlighted when conservative Republican Briscoe Cain spoke to pay tribute. We are going to miss, though, and I don't think our memory is ever going to be disappear from, from these halls. Because someone who has such an impact on these halls is always for, forever remembered. I have a feeling there will be more things that we're going to do in these coming days to honor her memory. House lawmakers unanimously approved a measure honoring Jones and recommending that she be allowed to be buried at the Texas State Cemetery. That's a rare honor for a Capitol staffer. The Texas Constitution includes strict rules on who can be buried in the state cemetery. It's usually reserved for elected state officials, but the governor or the legislature can recommend someone for the honor. Those requests must be reviewed by the State Cemetery Committee, which is part of the State Preservation Board. A Texan who wants to take on Ted Cruz is already bringing in big campaign donations. 
how his multi-million dollar fundraising haul stacks up against the incumbent. Over 13 million new jobs since I've been elected to office. More jobs than any president's ever created in the first two years. President Biden campaigns on his economic record, why his claims about job creation need to be put in context. The summer heat creating dangerous conditions in Texas prisons, and not only for inmates. The staff members going down from heat to put them in that environment is a recipe for disaster. How people working in prisons are battling high temperatures, with some choosing to leave their jobs. The man who's challenging Ted Cruz in the race for U.S. Senate is already bringing in big money for his campaign. Dallas Congressman Colin Allred raised more than $6 million since announcing his campaign in May. Allred shared his fundraising report with the Texas Tribune. The official numbers are due next week. That's the quarterly deadline for campaign finance reports. But Allred has to win the Democratic primary next March to earn the chance to take on Cruz. Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez is expected to announce he's running for the nomination. It's not clear if other Democrats could also join the race. Senator Cruz has not yet released his fundraising totals, but records show he had more than $3.3 million on hand at the end of March. For perspective, here's a look at how much money went into the last election involving Ted Cruz. He faced Democrat Beto O'Rourke in 2018. Cruz spent well over $45 million on his campaign. O'Rourke laid out more than $79 million. Cruz won re-election by nearly three percentage points. The race for president is already heating up. President Joe Biden has been touting his record on jobs and the economy, but one claim he made about job creation raised a few questions. Our Daniel Marin put the claim in context. Campaign season, it's just around the corner and politicians are already turning up the volume on their campaign rhetoric. So to cut through all the noise, we're starting a new series called Campaign Context to give you some clarity on the messages you are going to be hearing from candidates from all parties. Kicking off our series, a look at a recent comment from President Joe Biden running for re-election in 2024. Touting his Bidenomics plan, he said this. We created 13.4 million new jobs. More jobs in two years than any president has ever made in four, two. The White House also tweeted this chart showing the month-to-month -month job growth of his predecessors. And while Biden's numbers come from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and do tower above the other administrations, the thing to remember is that we're emerging from a pandemic that saw some pretty devastating job losses. And the president's Republican detractors, including the GOP-led House Budget Committee, have been quick to point out that most of what the Biden administration is calling job creation, they would call job recovery. So really a matter of semantics here, though the White House is sticking with job creation. That was Daniel Marin reporting. Already 15 candidates officially declare that they're running for president, and we have a quick way to help you learn more about each of them. Right now on our website, we have a full list of the candidates who declared for the two main parties. We have a short bio for each of them and links to their campaigns. Just look for the link in the State of Texas story in the Texas Politics section of our website. Watch this situation. Look at the headlines. Protesters call to bring back a state park, but the developer buying the land says the state is not playing fair with its plans to take the land. How it's shaping up as a larger fight over property rights. 
The summer heat takes a toll on people in Texas prison system, and not only the inmates. Guards and other prison workers also struggle in the hot temperatures, why they're not getting much help to deal with the heat. The people who care for some of the most vulnerable children could soon get more support. The new steps to overhaul the way Texas funds foster care. Amid the Texas summer heat, workers in state prisons say they need help. Former correctional officers describe unbearable heat and medical emergencies inside prisons without air conditioning. And those ex-officers say it's a big reason why they left their jobs. But as Capitol correspondent Ryan Chandler reports, little is being done to deal with the heat. There are a lot more deaths related to heat illnesses and injuries than TDCJ is willing to admit. TDCJ is not a safe place to work at. For years, as an electrician in TDCJ's hobby unit, Michael Weber would sweat in searing attics above the prison. He called them pressure cookers. We'd see temperatures as high as 130, 140. We did see staff fall out at least one a week. The staff members going down from heat. As of mid-June, TDCJ reported nine employees needed medical attention for heat-related injuries. In 2021, TDCJ reported an officer turnover rate of over 40%. Last year, the department had more than 8,000 open positions for officers. And the heat is one of those working conditions that we, this, it's causing people to quit. The department told lawmakers this year staffing is their most significant issue. Despite that, TDCJ did not ask the legislature for any money to install air conditioning. The people who are making these decisions and, and not putting this money in the budget, they're sitting in air conditioning offices. These officers are putting their life on the line every day. It's the toughest job out there. I did it for 28 years. It's, the, it's one of the toughest jobs there is. And we need to respect that. An issue not just about human resources, but human dignity. We want to be humane and treat our, our state employees as if they are valued members of our society. Or do we want to treat them like disposable uh, widgets that we can throw away and get another one? And that's that's the route that we've chosen to take as a state. Ryan Chandler, state of Texas. Court challenges led one southern state to add air conditioning to its prison system. Last year, the Mississippi Department of Corrections began working to make sure every state prison had AC units by this summer. The move comes after multiple courts there ruled incarceration in extremely hot or cold temperatures is unconstitutional. State officials say the air conditioning units cost the department $600,000. The money came from the Federal American Rescue Plan and from Mississippi's Inmate Welfare Fund. The lead attorney for suspended Attorney General Ken Paxton says his client will not testify in his upcoming impeachment trial in the Texas Senate. Paxton defense attorney Tony Busby made the announcement Monday. Rules for the trial adopted by the Senate leave the option of forcing Paxton to testify, but Busby made it clear that Paxton would stand his ground. He released a statement Monday saying, in part, we will not bow to their evil, illegal, and unprecedented weaponization of state power in the Senate chamber. A spokesperson for the chamber has not responded to a request for comment on the defense team's statement. We should note the Senate rules specifically forbid members or staffers from discussing the case. The House voted to impeach Paxton in May. That set the stage for a trial in the Senate, which is scheduled to begin on September 5th. 
The state is moving ahead with plans to use eminent domain to seize Fairfield Lake State Park, 70 miles east of Waco. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission approved the plan last month. It could set up a long and expensive legal fight with Dallas developer Todd Interests. And the man who leads that company says the fight is about property rights. First, some background. A private company owned the land but leased it to the state at no cost since the 1970s, but Todd Interests reached a deal to buy the land last year. The developer plans to close the park and build a private luxury community and golf course on the land. Negotiations to have the state buy the land and save the park failed. That led to the commission's vote to seize the land through eminent domain. On Thursday, the developer who bought the land held a news conference outside the Freestone County Courthouse. Sean Todd spoke to reporters as well as supporters and opponents of his development plan. He said instead of fair negotiations, the state is using its power to force his company to give up the land. With respect to this action, the state has never dealt fairly, they've never dealt forthrightly, and they've never dealt openly. The state has defended the option to use eminent domain to reclaim the land. Supporters say millions of dollars in taxpayer money has been put into the park over the years. We planted over a thousand trees. We didn't plant them to be a golf course. We didn't plant them to be a private gated community. We wanted it to be a place for the public. Todd framed this as a larger fight over property rights in Texas. His attorneys have said if the state can take land from him, they can do it to any property owner. We looked into the next steps in the eminent domain process. First, the state has to make an offer equal to or greater than the land's appraised value. The landowner then has 14 days to consider the offer. If they don't accept, the Texas Attorney General can petition to condemn the land. Then, three special commissioners will be appointed to hear evidence and decide the current fair market value of the property. If either party objects to the commissioner's findings, the case will move to a civil trial, which could be appealed. After all, avenues of an appeal are exhausted. Experts tell us the state would pay the landowner the value decided by the court. Meeting children's needs under the state's foster care system has been a challenge for Texas foster families and treatment providers. Really what we need to do is build a system that adapts around the child and works and follows with that child. The change that's coming for those taking care of some of our most vulnerable children. For the first time in decades, the state is overhauling the way it funds foster care. Lawmakers voted this session to modernize the way it pays families and providers who care for some of our most vulnerable children. With a child welfare system that's been under fire for the last decade, investigator Avery Travis takes an in-depth look at how the plan will be implemented. A child's needs aren't simple. It is a very complicated formula. And neither is calculating the cost of meeting them. Really what we need to do is build a system that adapts around the child and works and follows with that child. Historically, the state has paid foster families and treatment providers a set daily rate per child. The amount depends on one of five service levels, from basic up to intense and intense plus. But Katie Ols with the Alliance of Child and Family Services says as children develop, their needs can change and the necessary dollars don't always evolve with them. The legislature saw and the state agreed the old way wasn't yielding 
what we want or what we could have. Two years ago, the Department of Family and Protective Services released the results of a report showing the current rate structure did not realistically reflect the time and cost of staffing and providing care. The report also said it did not reward providers for helping a child improve. So this session, lawmakers approved a new structure where the state will instead pay providers for service packages with costs associated with those services instead of a per child rate. That way, it's more tailored to what each child needs. So it won't be a, a switch that gets flipped overnight. It's something that will take um, time to implement just because it is such a monumental change. So providers like Jesse Boer with DePelchin Children's Center are hopeful. But with missteps in the state's child welfare system making headlines over the last decade, we asked Ols how Texans can trust this rollout will go smoothly. And I think there's going to be a lot of checks and balances, but we're all very committed to the end goal, which is resources being spent the right way to help serve children and families in communities. Avery Travis for State of Texas. Keep in mind, the Texas system has been under the supervision of a federal judge and court-appointed monitors for more than a decade. We asked the Department of Family and Protective Services about this new system and how they'll ensure it best serves foster children. A spokesperson told us this is the long-awaited breakthrough to a foster care infrastructure that works as intended, not only for our children and youth, but for their caretakers and providers. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.